everyone, and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk. And I am your host, Lila Winston. I pray that you are well and God is blessing in your life. I hope you have been good. As you know, we come together to read in the Word of God so that we can uh, study it and practically apply it, and also so that we can discover the purpose of our lives and enact that in the earth according to God's will. So I hope you guys have been great. Um, I am definitely still trying to get out studies, guys. I am a little bit busy, um, but I want to be faithful. And so I want to encourage you right now, if you have a chance, to check out some of the Bible studies at lovewalk.substack.com. And also you can find um, snippets at our YouTube channel. It is Love Walk Fellowship. That's the YouTube channel. And so definitely check that out. And of course, you can find us at uh, Spotify for podcasters. You can find us at Google uh, Podcast and also Apple Podcast and a host of others if you can just uh, check it out. Um, And so I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you're well. Um, And today we're actually going to do a pretty great study that I think is really very practical and that you can use in your everyday life. You guys know practically applying the word of God is really going to help you to navigate a lot of things. And I find in my own life, just by enacting the word of God, I literally avoid different kinds of issues, different kinds of troubles or traps or whatever it might be, simply by following the word of God. So there really is a practical necessity for it, and it has a great payoff, even when you're not even aware that there is a payoff. So today we are going to be studying in 2 Thessalonians. That's going to be our anchor text today. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, and that's verses 3 to 4. And so I want to encourage you to read this. This is going to seem like a strange verse, you know, to talk about practicality, but I want to show you how this is going to practically apply in your life. So go ahead and grab your Bible. We're reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And that's verses 3 to 4. That is our anchor text today. And I'll get started. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now that sounds pretty scary if you think about it. It just sounds kind of crazy and it conjures up thoughts in your mind when you start thinking about, you know, what end times will be. But I think we need to remember something too, because I think a lot of people talk about this in recent times, about a kind of falling away, but you have to understand that is promised in the word of God. So it makes sense. Some people are going to fall away from the faith and that's part of prophecy that's written in the Bible. We are being told that so that we can understand what's happening so we're not greatly shaken. You need to understand that there's going to be troves of people who are going to fall away from the faith. And, you know, part of that may be that, you know, maybe they didn't fully understand what the Bible was saying. Maybe the the gospel wasn't presented to them in the correct way. And they realized, oh, gee, wait, is this what it involves? And so they kind of fell away. So I think it's important to understand this is going to happen. Don't be shaken by it. Understand what the end times are. 
things that are there that has been spoken about in the Bible. And I have to admit to you um, as a believer that this used to actually horrify me as a young believer, this idea that this son of perdition would come and sit, you know, in the temple of God, showing himself as he is God. And that just really blew my mind as a young believer. And the reason it did is because I thought, you know, in my heart, I kind of thought, how would one know it was the man of perdition if he could sit in the temple of God, showing himself to be God? That just it just seemed a horrible proposition to me. It seemed like a horrible proposition for whoever will be in those end times um, and have to face that. And so, you know, I didn't really understand what was actually being said. But if you really stop and you look at Second Thessalonians, it really sort of reveals itself because it says some very important things that are practical that will help you to be able to understand that it, as part of the elect. I want you to read what it says in verse 4. It says, who opposes, right? In verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, it says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. That's your aha moment. That's your catch 22. That's your whatever it could be, what you're looking for. As a believer, we are looking for truth, right? And so even though this horrified me, now when I look at it, I understand that it says when it said, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, you have to say, can anything be above God? Ask yourself some practical questions about what is being said in the text. Can God be above God? Ask yourself these things. And therein is the lie. And that is how you're able to discover and how you're able to know the truth. Can God oppose himself? This is really a very important thing to kind of give you that direction. So you will say, oh yeah, you know what? I really will be able... If I'm a believer and I really follow the Lord, I'm going to be able to figure this out. I'm not going to be deceived. In fact, it says in verse four, it says who opposes. And again, we have to ask ourselves this question. And I really want to drive this home when it says who opposes, right? Can God be divided against himself or even his own ways? And in this manner, we see how that the man of perdition can be identified by the elect. This is not a scary thing. And I want to show you three things about that. The first thing is that he opposes. And this is the fallacy. God cannot be divided against himself. That house cannot stand. In fact, Jesus Christ, when they accused him of, you know, casting out demons by Beelzebub, he literally said, how is that possible? Any kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand. He says this in Matthew chapter 3 verse 22 and 26 it says and the scribes which came down from jerusalem said he hath belizebub and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils and he called unto them and said unto them in a parable how can satan cast out satan and if a kingdom be divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand and if a house be divided against itself that house cannot stand. And if Satan rises up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end, right? So Jesus understands this and he's trying to get you to understand this. And this is what, this is why I say the Bible articulates, it sticks together. If you are reading and you're studying, not just reading, but studying and putting pieces together from the different things you've learned, you'll see how that when you think of someone standing up 
opposing all that is God, you know, in his place. That's not right. That can't be him. That can't be God because he's not going going to oppose the ways of God. So that whole point, this is another thing. And if you understand the ways of God, you'll know when the ways of God are being opposed. Number two. It says he seeks to be above, to exalt himself. So he seeks to be above that which is called God. Now that's just sort of strange, right? How can, he's going to be above that which is himself. God is going to be above that which is himself. And we actually see this in the book of Job. And if we're all honest, sometimes that happens with us all. That's literally what happened with Satan. You know, he kind of got up in the pride and said, you know, I'm just so super beautiful and so talented. So he lifted himself above God. So this is another telltale sign how you'll be able to know the man of perdition and you will not be deceived, right? Job was verbally reprimanded by God for assuming he had a righteousness above God. Even though he was righteous in the earth, he could not be righteous above God because God even called him righteous man, right? But he can't be a virtuous or more righteous than God. And we see that in Job chapter 42, one and six, where Job literally realizes that after this very long conversation with God and he goes, wow, I spoke about stuff I really don't get and I repent in dust and ashes. And then three, we realize that there is this level of self-exaltation or pride that is there, right? This kind of selfishness involved. Love is selfless and God is love. Think about the great God of the universe decided to send, come down to earth to us to save us. That is a humility that we cannot fully understand or know. And we must be like those who detect the fake money. You know, there are people out there who are trained to be able to detect counterfeit uh, dollars and currency. And you must know the real so well that the counterfeit cannot deceive you. And basically what happens, people who take on that position, they're trained not on how to spot different kinds of counterfeits, they are trained on how to spot a dollar or a, a SETI or whatever the currency is. They're trained to understand that well. So when anything comes along that does not look like the original, they can immediately say this is a counterfeit. And that is the way you and I must be. That is why looking into the perfect law of God, reading his word and acting on it practically in our daily lives is going to help us to be able to identify not only the man of perdition, but the bad guy that's trying to steal from you or do something bad to you or deceive you in your everyday life, right? Understanding God will become critical in the times to come because the times will get so bad as it says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 26 and 28, and also in Mark 13, 20, it says that the times are going to get so bad that it's going to be kind of difficult to kind of hang on there. And in the same way that we advance in technology and science, mankind is also going to do the same thing in wickedness. And if you cannot tell that that's happening in the world, I want to encourage you to turn on your television or scroll through a social media feed and it should pretty much confirm everything that I'm saying. And that is one reason why I don't understand why people do not believe the Bible because it is so accurate. So this means your understanding of God and the economy of the kingdom of heaven 
must increase. It has to increase now. It matters because there will be counterfeits. It is easy to be deceived if you do not know what God's word says or live that word practically in your daily life as a practice. People are deceived by cults and false prophets and bootleg pastors and broken theology and even just other regular people because they do not heed or read the word of God. It's really important that you not only read, but that you study and that you not only read and study, but that you actually do it, right? Look how it says, let no man deceive you in verse chapter three, um, when we are looking at second Thessalonians, he's literally saying that there will likely come people or things that will attempt to deceive you in this manner and in this area. In fact, we see other places where we are warned not to let others deceive us. And we see it plainly in Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 and 5 and Mark chapter 13 verse 5. And so I want us to look at the one that's directly from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. It says, and we'll read until 25, uh, till verse 5, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so he goes on to talk about the end times in that chapter and many of the deceptions there. So knowing God and his ways are essential. They will enable you to spot the fraud and determine the authentic. And this is vital in our world today. Notice how the disciples even warn each other other fellow believers not to be deceived. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. It says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So in this way, we see him encouraging us to understand the ways of the kingdom of heaven and that to understand that they are different from the world. This is absolutely crucial and vital for you to understand because sometimes God is going to have you do things that make no sense in the world, but make every bit of sense in the kingdom of heaven and will get you the victory. That is why we do not lean on our own understanding. He's saying that we must not reason and sort of act with craft and strategy with the ideas of this world, but with the kingdom, right? And he is warning us not to be deceived into doing anything otherwise. So he's giving you a window in, he's giving you inside information. And remember, this is coming from a, a Christian believer who's warning other believers. Let's look at what it says in Ephesians chapter five, verses one to seven. It says, be you therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. Again, we see in verse 6 the warning to not be deceived. Over and over again, he's telling you, don't let yourself be deceived. And many times, this advice comes, as we can see, in terms of understanding the world we live in and the sin and trouble that afflicts it. And of course, the ways in which you know, the people of the world act in the age that we live in, right? To help believers to accurately and adequately navigate a world that is growing increasingly wicked. We are encouraged to be sober and most especially not deceived. He wants you to know the plain truth because while people often lie to others, we also forget that these same people lie to themselves. Yes, it's a real thing. Some people know what is right, but refuse to do it. Some people even know doom is coming, but refuse to face it, to prepare for it adequately, or even to forsake their sin. This famous verse from Hosea 4 is often misquoted partially because it hits the nail so accurately on the head. I want you to note Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 and what it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject you, that you shall be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children." So they are destroyed not just because they lack knowledge, and this is really important to understand. Sometimes we only quote the first part that says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but that's not actually true. They're destroyed for lack of knowledge because they rejected it, right? So we have to understand it is because they rejected it. Some folks don't want to know the knowledge, don't want any knowledge. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to acknowledge truth. It means they might have to change their ways if they did acknowledge it. And we see this in everyday life. Some people are willfully ignorant. These people have all sorts of excuses for themselves. These excuses are called lies. They are lying to themselves. They are the things a person tells themselves to justify poor or bad behavior and actions. But while this can be detrimental to that person who's lying to themselves, he or she may also lie to you and that you too may join them in their fall. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his time for not wanting to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but also not allowing others to do so either by their inauthentic teachings. Inauthentic teachings. He literally says they shut up the kingdom when they do this. So some people may mean you harm in deceiving you about sin the way Satan did to Eve, but some people do not mean you any harm the way Eve did to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. 
Let's look at what it says. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant in the eyes, I'm sorry, to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. That's Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So you see, some people lie to themselves because they want something so very badly, like Eve, or they want to follow their own will so very badly. And so they lie to you because they have to maintain the lie that they have told to themselves. So they will hand you the fruit to take a bite too. People of all backgrounds do this, so you must know the word of God. Imagine if we put ourselves in Adam's place. When Eve gives him the apple to eat, if he adhered to God's word, he would have told her, no, I will not eat that, because God said of all the trees we may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we may not eat. And then he would refuse. So that's not just knowing the word of God, because Eve knew the word of God too, because she literally said that back to the serpent. But he would have been doing the word of God, practically living it out in his life. It's about knowing God's word and a way and doing it. And one thing we do know, one thing we absolutely do know, if he had obeyed God and remained true to his word, he would not have known sin or death. And so too for you and I. Sometimes our encounters are directly with those who are seeking to deceive us for the purpose of hurting us, just like the exchange between Eve and the serpent, but also with those who have accepted a lie in place of truth. It is an encounter with those who have deceived themselves, like Eve when she gave the fruit to Adam. Eve allowed herself to be deceived. You see, You and I get to choose what we believe and what we will do with that information. And we are warned of these deceptions because they are common and we will likely face them. Look at what it says in James chapter 1 verse 26. It warns us to be mindful of our words and what we say as believers. This is another warning that we are given. It says, if any man among you If any man among you seem to be uh, religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain or pointless or useless. So again, we know that the word, the world has its own ways, but God has his and he expects his ways to trump the world, which they do. And if we follow them, we get the right results. So even if we see no reason to change, merely by knowing his ways and his commands, we modify ourselves to be more like him. In this verse, we are taught to remember that a man that doesn't seek to control what comes out of his mouth is deceiving himself, and his religion is pointless and vain. In fact, in verse 27, which is the verse right after that, we are actually told what pure religion is. According to that verse, speech alone can undo the fine work of what religion, pure religion is, in terms of visiting the fatherless and the widows and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Look at what it says in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And yet... We are told a man who does not bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. 
So you see, if we have a vile or nasty tongue, we undo all the good that we have done. I think the tongue may actually be so important to God because maybe words come from it. You know, I mean, like, I'm not saying that I don't think words are important, but I think it may be more important to God. And this is just my thoughts in terms of reading the Bible. It may be more important to God because, you know, words are spirit and they have power to kill or to give life. And so we are urged not to be deceived to think that we can speak any kind of way or to others without consequence. And this we must do, as it says in James chapter 1. I want us to read a couple of verses ahead of that. It says uh, in James 1, 22 to 25, But be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself, and goes away, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That's James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25. So again, we see in James another warning about deception, self-deception. It again pertains to our lifestyle and manner of being in the world. It matters that we do what we say, we believe. And if it had been just about believing, we would not need to act, right? But James chapter 1, 25 warns us that we must act and do. We must believe and do. So it is within our purview to act or not. I think this is really something that we have to understand. What is implied here also, but not explicitly stated, is that we can believe and not do. Like we can, we can know it and not do it. You can know the word and not do it. So we must be aware that a man who is not doing God's word as a believer is acting of his own volition not to do it, Right? Notice it says to look into the perfect law of liberty in verse 25. That means you have the freedom to do God's word or not. That is the law of liberty, that we are free to do what we want, unlike the unbeliever who is a slave to sin. We're not slaves to sin, but we must know that there are repercussions if we choose to sin. And we see John making it very clear about the practice of sin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And I'm going to show you that right now. It says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning... For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So it's vital to understand God and his ways in all areas, if you can, to understand how the kingdom works, because the kingdom has now come to earth. As it says in Matthew chapter 6 and 3, and not only has the kingdom come to earth, if you are a believer, the kingdom is within within you. The kingdom of God is within you, as it says in Luke chapter 17, 21. And it is our interactions in this world and with the loss that we must take heed of. We must take heed not to be deceived because our sinful flesh wants us to do those things. 
We have a battle with the temptation of Satan, but also the sin in our flesh. And if we do act in sin, unfortunately, we suffer. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. It says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That word communication does not only mean what you say or what people say to you. It means continual interactions and association with evil. It means more accurately to commune with or fraternize as a practice with something or something. Yes, we are to be in the world, but not of it. So be careful who you are interacting with. No, you're not supposed to pull yourself out, but you have to be careful with who you interact with kinds of life they live and the things that they do. So we must be mindful of our associations and friends and the people we spend time with. These will affect you and do not deceive yourself. Remember it says don't be deceived in 1 Corinthians 15:33. Do not deceive yourself and think it will not affect you. The Bible even warns us not to have any part with angry men. Not evil men, just angry men. I think this is really wild. If you look in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 and 25, it says something very important. It says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man you shall not go lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul right? The soul is important. We have lately been discussing the soul, right? So this is pretty important, this admonishment, this warning that's being given not to be deceived. It literally says that you will learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. A snare is something that traps you and holds you down and causes you not to be free. A snare is a trap. Please note that it says that not a, a, a sad man. It doesn't say an overly happy man or a giddy man. It says an angry man. So some emotions are expensive and some come with unpleasant effects. And if we're not careful to manage them correctly, they can be painful and hurtful to us. Anger must be managed. Finally, knowing God means understanding how his economy works understanding how the world is set up and how best we should maneuver in it. Notice what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. It says, be not deceived. Once again, the warning, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we are encouraged not to be deceived once again, because the wicked one will try to deceive us. He will try to deceive you directly or through a third party like Eve to Adam. So you must be circumstance, uh, circumspect. Don't believe whatever evil you do will not come back. And don't. 
if you're not deceived, and I think this is a really important point to point out that you may not be deceived because Adam was not deceived, but don't assume that you fully understand what the ramifications of the return on that sin will be. Don't assume you know how it will return to you in due season, right? Because it will occur in due season according to verse 9. So it's important to understand that there is a season for things. So whether you sow good whether you sow evil, it has a season like a harvest. And in that season, you will harvest of necessity what you have sown, either good or corruption. Be mindful of what you do in your body, in your mind, and in your daily life and to others because it will return. Just because you think there is delay doesn't mean that it is so. It actually means it's waiting for its appropriate season to blossom. So keep that in mind. And I think probably that's what was going on with Adam. He didn't understand that this is going to be really bad for me because he wasn't deceived. He knew it wasn't going to give him great knowledge. He knew he wasn't going to, it wasn't a good that, a fruit that was good to eat, but he did it anyway. And I'm thinking that maybe he assumed that the payback for it or what would happen wouldn't be that bad. I don't want you to make that mistake. You don't know how it's going to come back or how bad it will be, how long it will be. So if we know God, we can be like him, right? We can be satisfied in his likeness, but we can also distinguish the real from the fake. And this will become increasingly and increasingly more vital as times grow more lawless. You don't want to be caught up in that sin wave. You don't want to be caught up in that, you know, uh, reaping and sowing cycle, right? We know that where sin abounds, grace must abound that much more. So abound with knowing the ways of God and living it in your daily life so that you can be partakers of that most wonderful grace that God has given. So I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you are blessed. I hope the Lord continues to do wonderful things in your life. Please do keep me in your prayers. I pray for you guys every day. And I know that you are going to walk through this life in victory, serving your purpose and spreading the gospel. Thank you so much. May God richly bless you. Bye.